Oh, we got it the first time. Okay, add-ons. We got the requirements again, and then we got the add-ons during it. And to help me with today's sermon, I asked the guy named Chris Clark, who many of you know, to help me. But I said, Chris, I need to know the underbelly of the car dealership world. He said, the what? I don't know if we have one of those in my industry. I assured him, and he assured me, that none of the things that he told me are being done in anywhere around our area. It's probably Grand Junction or Denver or one of those places. But he did give, I said, Chris, I need the good, bad, and the ugly when it comes to buying a car. And it was quite shocking. Chris works at uh, Glenwood Springs Ford, and he's such a good salesman. He's so funny. He, he, he helps with all this information. He tells me how they do none of it, and he finishes with this. You can hear the car salesman in here. He says, and I quote, Daniel, Glenwood, Glenwood Springs Ford is the orchard of auto dealerships. <laughs> <laughs> nice work, Chris. Love God, love people, love financing. It's all, it's all there. When it comes to buying a car, there are some things you have to do. There are some things you don't know you have to do until later. But what you have to do immediately is there's 15, he said, legitimate requirements to get a loan. And then you have to go through the bank and get pre-qualified and the requirements for all them just so you can get on the lot and talk about a car. And then once you get in, it doesn't mean you're done because then the dealership has these hidden things and these add-ons. And again, this is an, an incredible list and none of these things, again, are being done by anybody that we know, Okay. But once you get the car, you have these legitimate fees of the state tax, county tax, city tax, and RAFTA tax, as well as the Colorado State lien filing, temporary tag fee, and the registration fee. You just get to pay those for fun. But then there's fees you don't even know. And in fact, he told me they were made up and imaginary. <laughs> so here's some fee, the dealer handling fee. That's the fee for them handling something. Then there's the documentation fee because they have a document and so we have a fee for that. And then they, he said there's a processing fee because they have to do something with the document. We're going to process it and there's a fee. And since that was, a, that was paperwork, he said there's a paperwork fee. And on top of that, there's an administration fee because somebody has to process the document and the information fee, something. And there's lots of fees. So we have all those things, and they, he said they can add out thousands of dollars, and then he went on to tell me how there's other add-ons, these add-ons onto the car that seem harmless that can be even up to $3,000 and plus dollars. And so you go in for a car, and there's these hidden add-ons that some places um, do, and, and no wonder when we go to a car to buy a car, intimidated and confused is often our state, correct? And I found that when people go to churches, they can often feel the same, intimidated and confused. You know, as you walk in, have you ever visited a brand new church? Never been to a church like it before, and you walk in and go, wow, okay, so this is what we're doing. And it's, it's a whole new experience, and, and people are standing, and you don't know when to stand, or what to say, or what to sing, and they're dressed differently. It, there can be some intimidation, and there can be some confusion when it comes to church, because oftentimes we feel like a car dealership, we have to pass some requirements to get in, how we're dressed and how we act, and then once we get in, what are they going to add on to us when we get in there? Now, churches have been guilty of this. And this is where it kind of stops being funny because religion is notorious for having hidden add-ons. Religion often makes sure that there's an entrance exam to get in, a prerequisite. And then once you're in, there's a list of things that you have to do to continue to stay in or at least look like you're in. And some religions, they require you to sell your property and shave your head and leave everything to get in. Some religions, you have to spend lots of money to be spiritually audited over and over. Some religions, you should cut your hair. You should wear a suit, 
Women, you must wear uh, dresses down to your ankle. Some churches require certain translations or, and some churches, just to be in, you have to bring a potato salad to, to the potluck. And it has to be mustard potato salad, which is why there's always like seven of those. That's the entrance exam if you're new to get in. But wait, that's not all, which is a, another saying that we love to say when we're selling them. Because once you get in, there can be lots of hidden add-ons that you didn't know about. Um, you got to continue dressing the way and acting like everybody. You got to learn their songs. Then you learn how you can't drink and you can't dance. And you have to vote a certain way. And you, you have to go, stop going to certain places and being friends with certain people. And there's a list of mustn'ts and a list of musts. Religion can be exhausting, confusing, intimidating. And you see these preachers, they're like, what's it going to take me to get you into this church? Let me go talk to the manager. I have to see if we can okay that one, you know? I mean, (laughs) there's some confusion, there's some intimidation, and there's some add-ons in religion, and churches come by it honestly. Through the ages, churches have have acted far worse than any dealership will ever act Church has required people to pay to get in. It's required people to change the way they look and dress to get in. And in some places, during church, during that time at church, it's the fakest place in the world because it's a bunch of people just trying to act like one another until they can get out of there and go back to being themselves. (laughs) Not here, but some churches. Requirements to get in, requirements to stay. And some of you who are perhaps new to the faith journey or you're new to this church, you were probably wondering this very morning, what, is, what am I going to witness? What's going to happen? Jesus told us from his own mouth, he said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your soul. Which is so interesting he said that because oftentimes doesn't it seem like religion or church just adds more burden? Have you seen that with people? I've seen this across, that there's more add-ons and there's more things and it's just more of a burden. And that is not what Jesus intended. And today as we teach from Acts 15, we're going to look at this. Because the title of today's message is The Main Thing. And at the orchard, Charlie has an axiom for us, our lead pastor, and he says, at the orchard, we keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus. That at this church, we will keep the main thing the main thing, Jesus. And today in Acts 15, we're going to look at what happens when a church chooses something else other than Jesus as the main thing. Now, let me give you some, some background on Acts 15. We have Paul. And he's traveling around, and he's experiencing amazing success as he preaches. He's seeing people healed. He's seeing lives transformed. He's preaching to Gentiles, which is a word that means the non-Jewish people, and he's seeing God move in power. People are coming to him and coming to Jesus in droves. He's having a very, very effective ministry. It's a beautiful thing to see what Paul is, God is accomplishing through Paul in the mission field. But what's not beautiful is what happens next. Because a group of believers, of Jesus' followers, start to preach that in order to come to Jesus, you must be... Now, fill in the blank. Those of you who don't know the story, it can be a lot of different things. Give money, you have to tithe. What is it, cut my hair? What what do I have to do? What are they saying? Because there's always Jesus plus something equals salvation. Here in Acts 15, they said, in order to come to Jesus, you need to be circumcised. Which again, seems silly to us. But we must remember that in their culture, this was highly important. 
And coming out of Judaism, that was the ultimate expression that you were all in on the Jewish faith. The problem was is that uh, as Christianity grew out of this, they said that in order to come to Jesus, you still had to have a surgery. And then you still had to, after that, follow the laws of Moses. If you want to come to Jesus, you have to follow the custom of Moses. Talk about a, a pre-requirement, right? And talk about a hidden add-on. And again, we've joked about this. Can you imagine the altar calls as you say, come down front and give your life to Jesus. There's surgeons waiting in the next room. Come on down. They would love to see you. I mean, I think it would be a little scarce, that, you know? So they're telling people this, and in Acts 15, verse 2, Paul gets into a sharp debate with the people who believe that there must be this prerequisite. And he's called off the mission field to travel back to Jerusalem where the council is. Jerusalem is the epicenter of this fledgling Christian movement. It's where the church, el the church elders and leaders are. He's called off the mission field where the movement is happening, where Jesus is moving, where the Spirit is moving, to go back to Jerusalem and meet with the council and discuss a surgery. He arrives in Jerusalem, goes before the council, and his opponents make the plea in verse 5. We have it up here, Acts 15, verse 5. Then some of the believers, Jesus believers, some of the Jesus believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the, the non-Jews must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Next slide. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. So they're saying, yes, there is a New Testament. Yes, Jesus has done this thing. He did this act, but we should probably just keep still following the customs of Moses on top of that. So we have here a hidden add-on. We have on all these stipulations and requirements to be in, and once you're in, then all the things you have to follow. See, see Jesus was being preached, but now ministry was working. The gospel was spreading the movement was happening, but it all comes to a stop right here because the main thing stopped being the main thing. They took Jesus out of the main thing and they put some religious practice and ritual or preference in there. Not that any of us would ever do this. We would never put our religious preferences above Jesus, but some people have been known to. And in here in Acts 15, they did that and the movement came to a halt. They had to get this thing figured out. Should surgery be an entrance exam into salvation with Jesus? And after that, should they have to follow the law of Moses? It says there was much, much discussion. And I'm gonna skip and just tell you the conclusion because what happens is this. When someone gets to a place where they are ready to receive Jesus, where they are ready to come to him for salvation, the Bible's clear, it should be a clear path. Jesus made the way. The path was made by Jesus to God. And no human should come and put a hurdle in the way or a gate with a toll, whatever that toll would be. Jesus made the way, and we are not to block it. But the, the, the people here who have this belief about circumcision, they came by it honestly. Because in the Old Testament, it was, they had to go to the temple and at the temple, they had to give a sacrifice with the high priest and have the ritual. But when Jesus came and gave his life, he fulfilled all that. And no longer do they have to go to the temple and have a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. And no longer do we need a high priest because Jesus is the high priest now and forevermore. So they came to this belief based on their rituals and their experiences of the past, and they tried to apply it to their present conditions. 
When Jesus was dying on the cross, and this just shows you how Jesus says these conditions should not be here. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a criminal next to him who confessed faith in Jesus. And what did Jesus tell the criminal? Today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal didn't have an opportunity to get down and, and make amends. He didn't have an opportunity to get down and say he's sorry to people or even live a life or, or even see the transformation or go to church and give his testimony. None of that. Apparently, what well, all that was needed for salvation for that criminal was faith in Jesus. And that just shows a glimpse of what Jesus offers us. Listen, all these prerequisites, all these add-ons, it is faith in Jesus alone. And so we see Jesus not putting any ritualistic requirement between him, no surgery, no anything between him and salvation. Back to Acts 15, verse 7. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who traveled with Jesus, gets up to speak after this. And he says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you may know that some time ago God made, me, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Keep going. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Next. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by works. I'm sorry, by what? Uh, by what? Faith. One more time, Orchard, by what? Faith. He purified their hearts by faith. Next verse. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting back on them this yoke, this burden, that neither us nor our ancestors could bear. Next one. No! We believe it's through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. It is by grace and faith in Jesus that we are saved. It, 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 this is such an interesting, he flips it on them. Because see, the Jewish people at uh, the time saying that it needs to be circumcision, they were saying they should become like us for salvation. And Peter says, no, no, all they have is faith. We should come like them. All we need is faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. No surgeries needed. No hidden add-ons needed. What Peter states here in verse 11 is the central, essential, indispensable truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, and that through faith in him, you will be saved. Period. Acts 15, verse 12 through 13 from the message translation says this, after that there was dead silence, no one said a word. With the room quiet, Paul and Barnabas reported matter-of-factly on the miracles and wonders of God done among the other nations through their ministry. After this, the silence deepened and you could hear a pin drop. And then finally, the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and he says this in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, for anyone who are turning to God. What a beautiful judgment by James. We should not make it difficult for any who are turning to God. And Orchard, this is where we stand. That we would be a church that does not make it difficult to people, for people to come to God. That Jesus made a way and that through faith, anyone can come to him, no matter what they've done. And we will not be a church that puts man-made things in the way for someone to get to Jesus. Amen? Amen. 10 o'clock when I wake up? This will be on the podcast. They will hear you. They will, be, they will hear or you're... In Acts 15, what we see here is we see a side issue 
that became the main thing. And in a church, when Jesus is no longer the main thing, the church immediately loses effectiveness. Because you see, the church was placed on earth for one thing, to be a light in a dark world and to illuminate Jesus Christ. The church is on this earth to illuminate one thing only, Jesus Christ. We're not here to illuminate a candidate. We're not here to illuminate anything political. We're not here to be a spotlight to illuminate the sins of the world. No, we are called to illuminate Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the revolutionary of love, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. That's who we're supposed to illuminate. Not only as a church should the orchard be known as people who illuminate Jesus, but as individuals. Your life, do you illuminate Jesus? Do you illuminate him to the people around you? We are called to do this. We are called to illuminate the one who said, love God and love people. And we as a church are commissioned to go into all the world and illuminate him. And you individually are commissioned to go into all the workplaces and all of your homes and all of your watering holes and illuminate Jesus. That's what we are called to do, illuminate him. Peter's words here ring true. We are saved through the grace of Jesus Christ, not through following rules, not through good behavior, not through religious ritual. We are saved solely by Jesus in his love and his grace. If you're in a growth group this week, we have a lot more teaching on this as we dive in. And I just wanna encourage you, if you're not involved in a growth group yet, here's a great way. Because we have some people we can't fit in during the weeknights. But we have a group every Sunday after this service. In room 206, you can, you can get done here and go up there and you can have a discussion with some people about what it means. So if you have not been in a growth group, you don't have one, room 206 right after this service. James's word also ring true. We should not make it difficult for any to come to faith. And at the orchard, we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's Jesus. And as long as we continue to illuminate Jesus and point to him, we will have nothing in the way of that. You can come however you are, dressed however you want to dress, for the most part. <laughs> you can come from any background. Listen, no sin or present disqualifies you from God's grace or being a part of this church. No lifestyle or addiction disqualifies you from Jesus' love or Jesus' offer. No political, cultural, or even recreational affiliation disqualifies you from the grace of Jesus Christ. Truly, Jesus' offer is for all people, and the Bible is clear that if salvation is what we seek, it is through Jesus Christ, it is through faith in him. As Romans 10, 9 says this, if you speak with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Today's message is simple. It's so simple. And I want it to be clarifying for the movement that as the orchard continues to move, we will be tempted at different times to get involved in something. I love that Charlie is so dedicated to making sure the orchard is, is singular in one thing, that the main thing is the main thing that's Jesus. And as a church, we will not be distracted from that. We will not be deterred from, 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 loving, G, from loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others as ourself. Today we settle in this church that, that he is the way, that through faith in him is salvation, and that there's no prerequisites 
to be in this room. There's no prerequisites to be in Jesus' kingdom. Come to Jesus. He made a clear path. So the application. If you are here today and you have not yet settled in your heart that Jesus is your way, that Jesus is your savior, the offer is this. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the full and I am the way to the Father. The offer is so simple. Through faith in Jesus, we receive salvation. Now, I always say this. We don't just get saved for some day in eternal life, do we? The great thing about Jesus is he gives us forgiveness in our past, peace in our present, and he gives us hope in the future. And so if you're here today and you have not yet received Jesus and you have, uh, or you have not yet settled that and you would like to talk more about it during the prayer time, during the response, you're welcome to come talk to myself or Charlie or um, any of our prayer people. But just, just know this, that there is absolutely nothing in your past, nothing in your present, and nothing that in your future that disqualifies you from God's offer of Jesus Christ and salvation. For those of us here who have settled in salvation on Jesus, who call the orchard home, who this is a place where we, we attend, let's ask this question individually for you. Is Jesus Christ the main thing in your life? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? Or has he been replaced? You know, as life gets complicated and things come and go and tragedies and tribulations and stress piles on, it is easy for that throne for us to displace Jesus and put on something else. Is Jesus Christ your main thing? Because today might, in, in all of today's simplicity, it might just be a simple call for you to make him the main thing of your life once again, to put him back on the throne of your heart once again. Sometimes Jesus gets replaced by good things. Sometimes the main thing gets replaced by good things like kids or a romantic relationship or, or work or success. But did you know the greatest thing a parent could ever give their child is to make Jesus the king of their life? Do you know the greatest value a parent could ever instill in their children is to show them that mommy and daddy love Jesus most and first? And if you, if, the greatest gift you can give to your spouse or, or your romantic person, <laughs> genius preaching there, would be to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love him first Today is when you look at your life and we ask, Jesus, are you on the throne? Are you the main thing? Because when he is not, the movement stops. And we see right here with Paul, it stopped. They had to get that settled. And for some of you, if you look at your faith life, you would say, all movement in my faith has stopped. All passion in my heart is waned. I would ask you if that's true of you to perhaps look at the throne of your heart, to look at the main thing of your life and say, is it Jesus? Because if it's complacency or selfishness, then you will not have that fire. You will not have that compelling love for God. So today we ask Jesus, are you the main thing? As we go into communion, Remember, our communion here at the orchard is it's open. There's no class you have to go through to do this. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and you're welcome to do it in remembrance of him. But as you hold the symbols of his body and his blood, and as you sit down and you thank him for his sacrifice that made the path to God for you, you pause in that moment and you say, Jesus, are you my main thing? Are you on the throne of my heart? And if you feel or you know that he's not, then you just say, Jesus, will you forgive me?
Forgive me for, for taking you out of your rightful place. And I ask you to be king of my life, Lord of my life once again. I want to be a light that illuminates you and I put you back on the throne of my heart. May that be your prayer. For others of you, if you um, need a special prayer, we will have some prayer team up here on the sides in the front. But Orchard, as we go through this and close in this song, I want us to do um, something brave and authentic. And that's sit there and ask Jesus, are you the main thing? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this, um, this look into the church at Acts 15 that is very simple but shows us to keep the main thing the main thing. And Father, forgive us as a people. Forgive the orchard as a church anytime we have gotten off track and made something else more important than you. Father, I pray that because of what you're doing here at the orchard in us as a church and individuals, that we would show a world that there are people who, who love so Father, in, in, empower us to love you and love others greater. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.